The Pat Kenny Show now, with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. No stranger to war, but the experience of war can be very different for men and women who may be both perpetrators and victims, and by women who are almost invariably victims and not just of gunfire, but sometimes of sexual assault. I'm joined by Lara Marlowe, who has reported on war and places of war for, for many decades. Now, Lara, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. It's good you, to be here. You've been thinking about this issue of how women and men experience war differently. Um, obviously, if you're subject to uh, an IDF bombardment, the experience is pretty much the same. Yes. Um, the reason I thought about this so much was that I was asked to deliver a lecture at the Wexford Festival Opera a month ago. And the theme of the festival this year was women in war. And so when I was in Ukraine in August, I asked virtually everyone I interviewed, is war different for men and for women? And to my surprise, all of them said, no, it's the same. But I kept thinking about it. And I think actually it is different. And there are several reasons for this. Um, one is that usually it's men who start wars and women who suffer the greatest consequences uh, it's also men usually who are combatants. And because of the societal roles that women are given, they're the ones who have to look after the family, uh, who have to keep the family together, who have to save the children. I mean, we saw this on a, a huge scale at the beginning of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022, when millions of women took their children abroad uh, in Europe, fled with the children. And also, I've seen in refugee camps over the decades, uh, it's the women who scrounge for food, who cook the food, who try to maintain some kind of hygiene standards. Uh, and usually it's it's the men who are the combatants, although Ukraine is to a certain extent an exception. Uh, and, but and certainly finally, Israel is. Uh, the IDF yes. has had women for many years serving in frontline roles. Absolutely. And this is this is kind of the wave of the future. But you mentioned sexual violence. And although there has been sexual violence against men, remember Abu Ghraib, for example, um, the Israelis say now that men also were were um, sexually assaulted by Hamas guerrillas. Um, although there has been violence against men, usually it's women who are who are raped on on a mass scale in wars. Um, so those are, are the big big differences between men and women in war. Now you uh, have been reporting on Gaza for how many years now? I first went for the Irish Times in 2001. Actually, even for Time magazine in the 1990s, um, I covered the first intifada in Gaza. I mean, and back then it was little boys throwing stones at Israeli soldiers. It's it's quite amazing when you think of the, the transformation over the last uh, 30, 35 years, whatever. It's, it's gone from that to just mass slaughter to apocalyptic, you know, genocidal slaughter. It's hard to believe that Gaza at one time was a peaceful place. I mean, some of the members of uh, UNIFIL or whatever would take R&R in Israel and would go to Gaza and there was a, a, a resort there they would actually yeah. have it. Unfortunately, I don't remember it that way. It was, it's always been a miserable place of refugee camps. I think since 1948, since the first Arab-Israeli war, it's been pretty miserable because um, three-quarters of the population are either refugees themselves or the descendants of refugees. And 
I've always seen people living in shacks in refugee camps on the sand and and then not to mention these these periodic assaults by the Israelis every time Hamas would would fire rockets or missiles at Israel then they would they would come down like a hundredweight of bricks. And... Now you've been there over the years from as you said the beginnings uh, and it goes back to 1948 you weren't there in 1948 no. but but <laughs> when you when you started to go there um, Obviously, refugee camps, uh, in my mind, would uh, indicate tarpaulin and uh, shacks and maybe using uh, uh, discarded crates or whatever to build homes. But they became something else. They became cities. Absolutely. Um, They were constructed in uh, cinder blocks, um, not luxurious homes by any means, but but veritable little cities with um, alleyways and and often open sewers. and strangely enough, Palestinian refugee camps look the same everywhere. I've, I've been to camps in Lebanon, <clears throat> camps in Damascus. I remember in Kuwait, uh, at the time of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, I went to the, uh, Hawali, which was the Palestinian refugee camp. And there are always these these poor um, cinder block constructions, with, often with uh, corrugated steel roofs, um, very rudimentary. Uh, and... Every time Israel has done a major attack on Gaza, they've just bombed them to smithereens and the Palestinians start over again and rebuild the same uh, refugee camps. Before we talk specifically about uh, women in in war and particularly sexual violence against women, talk to me about the Palestinians themselves. I mean, even within the greater Arab world, they seem relatively friendless. Yes, sadly, now, uh, although what we're seeing as a response to the, the present war is that they do have friends internationally, if not the governments, certainly the people. And you see this... People in... who will advocate for them. But yes. uh, when, when you ask them, do you want, you know, 1.8 million Palestinians to move into Egypt or uh, into Jordan or whatever, in whatever fractions... They seem to say absolutely not. Well, they they don't want to move to the Sinai Desert. They want a country and they deserve a country. No, but I mean, there would not necessarily be a welcome on the map. That's what I'm saying. They want to stay, you know, in Palestine, historic Palestine, and have their own uh, nation state there. Uh, But, you know, even on a temporary basis to while they get over and rebuild Gaza, uh, not many people are saying... Come and stay with us. Well, this is true, Pat, although there are more Palestinians in the diaspora uh, than there are in Palestine, just as there are more Irish in the diaspora than there are in Ireland. Um, there are a huge number who've, who've emigrated to Europe, to the US. I mean, you even have Palestinian-American uh, member of Congress now. So, yes, the, the rest of the world, you might say the rest of the world doesn't want them, but that's kind of like saying, well, why don't we give Ireland back to Great Britain and, and let the Irish go somewhere else? They can all go to America. I mean, that's, that's not a solution. That's what the Israelis wanted historically. They said they always said there are 21 countries in the Arab League. Let them go to other Arab countries. Uh, but for one thing, it was terribly destabilizing for, for Jordan, for uh, for Lebanon. Uh, and it's not a solution. They they have a, a country and it should be called Palestine. Now, the uh, role of women in the war occasionally as competence and very occasionally women have started wars. I mean, you, <laughs> even though the Argentinians were the uh, provocateurs in terms of the Malvinas sure. or Falklands, uh, if Maggie Thatcher hadn't decided to have a go, it's likely that could have been negotiated into some sort of settlement. Yes. And one thinks also of Golda Meir and Indira Gandhi. Uh, but those women are exceptions. 
Yeah, mostly wars are started by men. Uh, and therefore, peace is made generally by men who may not be as concerned as they should be about the fate of women and children. That's right. And one of the shocking things to me when I was researching um, my, my lecture in Wexford was that a rape it was not considered a war crime until until the 1990s. In fact, it wasn't the UN Security Council finally passed a resolution in 2008 that said that sexual violence can constitute war crimes, uh, crimes against humanity or a constitutive act with respect to genocide. So it was even after mass rape uh, in the Second World War by the Russians who liberated Berlin, uh, by the Japanese in, in China. Um, I mean, we're talking millions of women who were raped by, by the Russians and by the Japanese. Um, it was not considered a war crime. The attitude was always, well, this happens in war. This is just an integral part of war. It can't be avoided do you see it as a deliberate tactic by some armies um, to t- terrify the population, to cause them to flee, for example, knowing what may lie ahead? That can be the case. Uh, certainly the, the Hutus in Rwanda recruited HIV-positive men uh, to rape uh, Tutsi women, and the Serbs in Bosnia deliberately tried to impregnate uh, the Bosnian Muslim women. Um, they used to say to them in the rape camps, and I interviewed survivors of these rape camps, we're going to make you bear little Serb babies. Uh, so it can be a weapon of war. Um, I, I did a, quite a lot of research into rape in Ukraine uh, in the summer of 2022. And most of the experts I talked to, the human rights lawyers, uh, were reluctant to say that Russia was definitely already using rape as a weapon of war because it was impossible to say whether it was just a question of undisciplined soldiers going on the rampage. Certainly, uh, Bucha was one of the very worst places, the worst atrocities so far of the Ukraine war. Uh, A lot of women were raped there, um, including a 12-year-old girl whose gynecologist I interviewed. And um, they... you know, who who knows? Was it well? Putin actually gave a medal to the unit that did most of the atrocities in Bucha. So that would lead one to tend to think that yes, Putin Putin wanted this because why else would he reward the men who did it? What prospect of any justice for the victims of such crimes? Not a lot. Uh, For one thing, the women who are raped very often are ashamed. They're unwilling to come forward. It can be a huge ordeal for them to have to repeat over and over and over again what happened to them. Uh, For another thing, the the soldiers who do this very often cannot be identified or found. They disappear like the, the soldiers, the Russians in Bucha who retreated. Uh, and, and finally, you know, the, the level of evidence required to convict some of, someone of a war crime is very, very high. Um, I looked into the, the, the only uh, trials for rape in war, which I'm aware of, are against uh, Hutus in Rwanda and Serbs in Bosnia. And as of 2011, about 30 Serbs had been convicted of rape by the International Tribunal. Uh, when you think that just one rape camp, which was a, a school gymnasium in Kalinovic in Bosnia, uh, there were 106 
Bosnian women who were, were gang raped every day for 26 days and only 30 men for the whole war were convicted. So I think the numbers are, are fairly small. I, I fear that uh, the possibility of a war crimes tribunal is not a deterrent to soldiers going on the rampage. Um, the rape of uh, women is a heinous crime in war or in any other circumstance. Um, but the the kind of high moral ground the Israelis will have, for example, saying, well, we don't do things like that. We may bomb people, whereas Hamas on October 7th did terrible things uh, to, to, to women. Um, there was multiple rape uh, of individuals and pregnant women massacred and so on and so forth. I don't like this equivalence at all um, because... It, it one form of killing is not any less honourable than another form of. No, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And I, I remember uh, in Sabra and Shatila, in I, which I did not cover, um, not in 1982 in Lebanon, the phalangist militiamen who were armed and trained by the Israelis and who the Israelis watched from through their um, through, the, through their long lenses, uh, through their their, their um, you know long their cameras or whatever. Uh, they raped a lot of Palestinian women in Sabra and Shatila. And the women were found lying on the ground with their legs apart and their dresses up above their waist and so on. And, and I interviewed a, a woman who, who was doing um, press for the Falange a few years later. And she said, oh, no, 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 um, Maronite Christians, they would never rape women. You know, And she had no problem with the fact that People had been slaughtered. Over a thousand people were, were killed by the phalanges. But oh no, 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 they wouldn't rape them, you know. And so it, it is something. It's kind of apart as a war crime. People don't want to believe that their side, that the people who they sympathise with, could do such a thing. And it's very strange that it should be considered worse than blowing someone apart with 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 a bomb or an artillery shell. But that's that's the mentality. Um. How do you feel about the prospect of a, another Trump presidency? I mean, here's a man who actually has a, a civil conviction for sexual assault. I feel absolute dread. Uh, and unfortunately, it looks more and more likely all the time. He is almost certain to be the Republican candidate. Uh, he is even or ahead of Joe Biden in most polls. And it, it almost looks like an inexorable march back to the White House. Uh, and there's a lot of alarm in international media, American media, first of all, what Trump and his supporters would call the, the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Atlantic Magazine, uh, the New Yorker Magazine, um, and then abroad, the Financial Times, Le Monde. Uh, there have been articles in all of these publications in recent days and weeks saying, watch out, Trump will be a dictator. America may be headed for dictatorship. And, um, well, he, th- he says he'll be one for a day. Well, His first day in office, he'll have retribution uh, against those who have offended him. Um, however, he has a, obviously a taste for this and uh, who knows what might happen because there were those who predicted that he would refuse to leave the White House. He tried. He and tried. He tried. To, yeah, he tried not to leave. In fact, of the four crimes for which he faces trial, uh, there was one about which there is no doubt whatsoever, which is that he did not accept the results of a democratic election. He said the election was rigged and tried to instigate an uh, an insurrection. Um, so we don't we don't even need a trial to know that he's guilty of that one. Um, 
you know the old line you can feel so, you fool some of the people some of the time and you know blah 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 but you can't fool all of the people all of the time what is happening to america that allows so many people who are living in it rather than those of us who observe it from afar to be conned by this man uh, that's a very good question, Pat. I, I find it very hard to understand. But my personal theory is that Trump is motivated by a thirst for revenge. He wants to get even with his enemies. Uh, he appointed special prosecutors to try to dig up dirt on on Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And he will do that. He's made it very clear he will do the same thing if he if he comes back to the White House. And I think that in the world as it is today, very many people feel wronged. People feel slighted. They feel ignored. They feel that the system has has done them in. And Trump appeals to that sense of grievance. He appeals to um, what we've always called the angry white man. Uh, and, and he tells them uh, – there was a, a wonderful quote from uh, the CPAC. That's a conservative uh, conference last March. And he said – I am your warrior, I am your justice, I am your retribution. Uh, so he convinces I – mean, it's, it's absurd because he, he goes on constantly against the elite when he's a billionaire. I mean, you know – And it, it is the ultimate uh, in contradictions. It's Orwellian. Uh, what about Joe Biden? I mean, Joe Biden, not as physically robust as you'd like to think, uh, mentally robust probably, but not as articulate as you might like. Uh, yeah. in terms of getting his messages across. Is there any way in which the Democrats will just bite the bullet and persuade him to stand down and get some someone else who's in the wings who might be younger, more vigorous uh, and more attack-minded uh, to take on Donald yeah, I, Trump? I certainly hope so, Pat. Uh, I certainly hope so. And I think that, that Biden's initially unconditional support for Israel in, in the Gaza war is has really uh, finished him off as a, as a presidential candidate because uh, blacks and young people are leaving his side in, in droves. They don't even need to vote for Trump. All they need to do is not, not vote. vote. Exactly. Exactly. What a depressing prospect. Laura, thank you very much for uh, joining us and thank you very much for, for uh, enlightening us as to um, the fate of so many women in war and how, alas, unavoidable it seems to be. Lara, thank you very much. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.